I've just got questions, don't leave me here. I don't like, I don't like looking at that video. I don't like, like, like listening to that video because I don't know about you, but I, that's, that's been me. If you have doubt this morning, first of all, I'm not going to be able to answer your questions. I can't answer everybody's questions by personal account, but I can answer your questions infinitely well. And the very, very last blank of your handout, I'm going to give it to you early. I just decided I was going to do this because I want you to think about this the whole time. We're going to get to this Touch One's Life gift offering in just a second, but I want you to get this. I've talked to too many people in our church in the past week or two weeks. And quite frankly, I've confronted this word doubt enough in my life that makes me want to get sick. And maybe this, this, this morning you walked right in the door and you went, holy smoke, Matt has tapped my house. He knows the stuff that we're doing. The very last, you don't have to put it up on the screen, I'll, just, I'll tell him. You guys can fill it in, we'll, we'll go back to it later. But I want you to think about this very last line. It says, we should blank your blank, right? We should doubt our doubts. And I want you to think on that. If you want to fill that in, you can. Uh, we have some people that are going to come and take a, a Touch Someone's Life gift offering that Colton talked about. We use our, our change. If you're new to Connection, you guys can go ahead and do that. If you're new to Connection, this offering is not for you. At the end, I will uh, I'll be giving these bags away with a slip of paper that sh- shares how we can do this and why we do this. And um, what happens if you doubt that you're taking it to the right person? See, doubt is in every aspect of our life. Doubt can be scary. You know what? Let me rephrase that. Doubt is not scary. Doubt can be terrifying, blinding, dark, scary. It can, be, it can, it can make you not want to move. It can make you stay in bed. It can make you only talk to people that you know are going to agree with you. It will, it will, it will trap you into a closet, lock the door on its own, and throw away the key, leaving you inside and in dark. Does that kind of cover it? Doubt is scary. It's terrifying. But when we look into Hebrews in the last part of chapter 10, we're going to cover quite a bit of scripture this morning, but it's, a, it's, it's obvious that in our world today, and just with the people that I talked with this morning, this word came up over and over and over and over again. I have seen Facebook posts this week. Don't go on Facebook right now. You can do that later. Stalk them later, okay? You, I've seen this word on Facebook. I have people that didn't put this word, but they said, I just don't understand what God is going to do, how he's doing it, what he's doing. How, how do I react, Matt? How do I do this? I'm doubting. Somebody said, well, I believe in the power of God. I believe in this. And I said, okay, then step out in faith. They said, well, I don't know about that. That's doubt. It's very difficult. Jesus is greater than your doubt. Some of you might need to just cut off this top title and you may need to like put it on the inside of your glasses, not when you're driving, okay? Or, or maybe we need to put it like on our radio dial in our, in, our, in our car or on the mirror or maybe you need to take an expo marker and in your, on your mirror in your bathroom, you need to write, Jesus is greater than my doubt and put your name in there. Jesus is greater than Matt's doubt, Because there's sometimes that doubt leaves you completely, totally alone and you don't think there's anybody you can talk to. I'm going to debunk that right now. You ready? For the next five seconds, you have a job to do. Don't get scared. I'm not going to have you run around. All right? But I want you to do it. I want you to seriously do that. I want you to take your two eyes and just from where you're sitting, I want you to turn your head to the left and to the right or turn behind you and look at the people in this room. Go. You just looked at somebody that has doubt. And when you looked at them, they saw yours. You've come into a place this morning that can be very, very scary. Because when when you bring doubt and you bring stuff to Jesus, you bring it to the light. And God says, you bring it to the light, then I can deal with it. But if you keep it all in here, and you're a bottler, or you're a closet guy or, or woman, and you keep the closet and say, Nothing is wrong. 
Just because you stick your head in the sand doesn't mean everybody else can see your butt sticking up in the air. You get this? Our doubt will get, your doubt can manipulate you. And it's very difficult because sometimes we take huge steps of faith in doing what God wants us to do. And then, and then, and then we have to do the really scary part. See, some people think stepping is scary. Ready? Take a step and then have God let you wait for a little bit. Moses, or not Moses, Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. And they waited years for Isaac. Years. Do you think that doubt went through Abraham's mind? Yes, but on occasions you read in the scripture where he, he, can, he talks with God and he believes, he understands that God made a covenant with him. And he relies on that promise because according to 2019, in June 23rd, God's never broken a promise with me or you or the entire earth. He can't. So when the Bible says that Jesus is greater than your doubt, that's something that we have to internally process. Because, quite frankly, it's scary to deal with. It's a lot easier to not deal with. Sweep it under the rug. You ever had your kids clean your house? You walk in your, you walk in your kid's room, wow! How did you do that? I'll give you two places. Look under their bed and look in the closet that's bu- that doors are bulging. That's where the stuff's going to be. But a kid thinks this, out of sight, out of mind. And we give them a hard time. We say, get this stuff out of the closet, straighten it up, and put it where it's supposed to be. And I have a hard time getting onto my kids like that because God speaks to me through the Holy Spirit and he says, that's exactly what you do spiritually. You have a closet. You just open the door and put it all in there and shut the door. Wow, your pastor, your pastor's telling you that he has stuff. Yeah, we're real here. Have lots of stuff. Jesus is greater than your doubt. In a group this big, some of us may have said, you know what, my week was okay. You know what, I had a really good week. I'm jealous. There's a lot of people that are jealous if you had a really good week. But you know what? As my grandpa used to say, I'm on the right side of the dirt right now. Knowing that when he died, he was going to go to heaven. He said, right now I have a job to do. I'm on the right side of the dirt. I woke up this morning. I was able to put on my shoes. Hmm. Well, he didn't. He preached in shoes. I don't. So um, it's different. But, but we, we have so many blessings, yet we let the negative things cause doubt. And we let those things impact our lives greatly. It's a cancer. This is not, it's not nice to talk about, but when you talk about a disease that affects an animal that, is really, that really thrives in southern Illinois, it's the white-tailed deer. And they can get a disease called blue tongue. And it's a little bitty, it's a little bit, we will not have any trouble with drought this summer, I don't think. So we, we, should, we should keep most of our deer, okay, that's good. But there's little bitty midges that live in water holes, and they congregate in that because they'll be the only water left and the deer come and that's why they can pass it so easy. But the little midge goes in their nose and I don't mean to be gross, but they can rot the deer from the inside out in less than two days. That's horrible. Some of us are letting doubt do the same thing to us right now. Your fear. I mean, last week we say, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. And some of you guys, well, my fear is just so big I have no idea what love is. And you just let it beat you up. See, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we have God's word. And I talk with my D group a lot about this. And, and we're guys and, you know, guys, guy stuff. And, and we talk often about, about taking up your shield and your sword spiritually. And being the men spiritually that God has called us to be. But I, I said something in one, of my, in one of my journals this past week. I said, until you pick up that shield or you pull out that sword to fight and how God wants you to fight, you have no idea the fear that Satan can put in you. You're inadequate, Matt. You're not a good husband, Matt. You're a horrible father. You do things so you can manipulate for yourself. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. But it causes that. And it's hard to deal with. Some of you 
watched Albert Pujols come back to St. Louis. Many of you did that. And yesterday, I, I, we were, I was at the game on Friday, and, and we heard people, well, Albert Pujols doesn't have anything left. And I'm sitting there going, man, we could take him tomorrow back to the Cardinals. He's 38 years old. I'm sitting there, I just turned 39 going, it's not old, punk. <laughs> Still got it. My mind, I have it right here. You know what I mean? I have it right here. I'm not sure I can, I don't know. Yesterday, he proved all the doubters wrong as he hit one about eight miles into the bullpen. I mean, it's a pretty swing. He said, like, toasted. He erased all doubt. He saw a fastball that I don't know if he was given or not. It doesn't matter. He crushed it. He saw a fastball. He reacted, and it removed all doubt from everybody in the stadium to the fact that a visiting player in St. Louis got a standing ovation and a curtain call for hitting a home run against them. It removed all doubt that he still has power. But the problem is, I, I don't mind speaking about Albert Pujols because Albert Pujols has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he would tell you the same thing. He said, yeah, people can doubt me, but when they talk about Jesus, Jesus is bigger than my doubt. Jesus is bigger than decisions that you're going to make in your life. Jesus is bigger than everything. The world tries to pull the chair and the rug right out from under you. Remember that? You'd be little kids. Hey, have a seat. Charlie Brown and Lucy. Oh, come on, Charlie Brown, kick the football. If I go to your house and you play the, the chair game with me and I fall, chances are very slim that I'm going to walk into your house and just jump up and sit down the next time I'm in your house. Why? Because I doubt what you're going to do. See, this, it affects all aspects of our life. But how do we know? How do we know? Matt, I need to know. I need to have concrete, tangible, put it in my hand, proof that Jesus is greater than my doubt. If I tell you, will you trust it? If I tell you, will you apply it? Well, I don't like the way this is going. I don't like the way this is going, Matt, because there's going to be, there's going to come a time where I'm going to have to put this into practice. Yeah, that's called being a Christian. Jesus is greater than your doubt. Look at the very, we, why is this true? Because Jesus paid the price on the cross for you. Because of his blood that was shed, we can be forgiven. And when you're forgiven, it's greater than this. There's nothing that can come against you. Because Jesus has already paid the price. Look at the first blank on your worship handout. I'm going to give you some areas that you can look at. So with, excuse me, without Christ's blood, there's no access to God. We talked last week about the old covenant. And they would repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly sacrifice animals. And we talked about there not being any salvation in those animal sacrifices. But they, they kept off the wrath of God for a certain amount of time. Therefore, it had to be repeated. When Christ comes and offers his body on the cross, it allows us, through Jesus, to have access to God. A goat and a sheep or a cow is not going to do that. We talked about that. We have access. Now, speaking of old hymns, some of you like old hymns. Does anybody know who, um, what's what his name? William Cowper. Anyone? Stop Googling. William Cowper, I have no idea who that is. Oh, he wrote a song that lyrically is one of the most unbelievable, theologically correct songs that ever to be written in the church. William Cowper wrote this: "There is a fountain filled with blood." Now, let me let me read the verse. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. What's he talking about? Salvation. Well, I don't want to be baptized in blood. That's gross. I get it. Spiritually, theologically, to be made whole, you have to be plunged beneath the blood. It's the blood of Christ that covers us. Well, now we're, we're talking about doubt here. Listen, you have to start with the blood. In the old covenant, they would start with the blood. They would end with the blood. Everything in the middle was blood, okay? Now, Christ pays for, when he pays for our sins with his blood on the cross, 
He provides the access to God. And if he provided the access to God, guess what? God can do anything he wants, including be greater than your fears. Be, he's greater than your doubts. And some of you are going, you have no idea how big my doubts are. You have no idea the stuff in my life. You have no idea. And I may not be able to personally get inside your head and, and walk right beside you and know exactly what you're going through. But I promise that I understand doubt. I promise that I understand shame and guilt and hanging on to different things. Just this, did you know that just this morning, just this morning, I walked into the back. I don't ride with my wife to church. I don't. Because Satan loves it, and Satan has just been all over the place. And I walked back to my wife. There was no kids back there. It was mine, so I could go back there. I went back and talked to my wife that was getting ready to teach. And I said, I feel like a failure as a husband. This morning, your pastor. I feel like a failure. I can't do anything right. I feel like I let my girls down every single day as a dad. Guess what? I do. And so do you. We let that infest and infect and just cancerize our entire body until we just want to lay down, go to sleep, and let everything else go by us. See, I do know what I'm talking about, don't I, people that understand this? We have the blood. This is such a beautiful line. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. In the next few weeks, we're going to sing a song that says, it's called, I Got Saved. It says, I'm undone by the love of Christ. I'm undone by the things that he's, that he, that he's done for me. Because we should be. When we sing how marvel, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Do we lyrically understand that we get to stand, lay, or flop down? I don't know what we're going to do in heaven. We get to be in the presence of the one that paid the price for us forever. I watched The Sandlot last night. Forever. If you've not seen Sandlot, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Please, this afternoon, watch The Sandlot. It's not spiritual, but it's awesome. Okay. Look at verse 19 in chapter 10. If you're an underliner, get your pen ready, okay? And so, dear brothers and sisters, underline starts. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Yes! You know what that means? It means that when Satan talks to Colton or he talks to, he talks to any of you dads out there and he goes, you are an absolute horrible father. He doesn't talk nice. Satan doesn't walk up to Jason and go, Jason, you know, you're a really good dad. Not really. He doesn't play. He attacks us and he attacks us and he hates us. And he looks at me this morning and he goes, you are an awful father. You are a no good dad, non-spiritual leading of your house or your church. You're awful. To which I agreed. And then I responded. But you don't own me. I don't have to be defined by my past because Jesus said so. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We can go where the high priest could go on one day. The spirit of God is everywhere. The New Testament talks about us going into the throne of God to pray. Don't let Satan mess with you. I know it's easy. And I know the more steps you take towards Jesus, the more fire he's going to blow at you. Don't quit. There's a a community here and this way and that way and that way and that way that don't have a clue who Jesus Christ is. And that's our job. Don't quit. Don't let doubt or fear or anything scare you away from talking to that person at work that you work with. We can boldly go. Look at verse 20. By his death, Jesus opened a new life and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. He highlights the new covenant with the old covenant. Listen, Jesus died so we could have access. The curtain, whenever Jesus died, some of my reading this week was about the crucifixion. 
And it says whenever Jesus gave up his life on the cross, that the, that the veil, the curtain around the Holy of Holies was torn from the ceiling uh, to the floor, letting God's presence out, that it had access because of the Son. Look at verse 21. And since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Now, some of us need to underline verses 21 and 22. 22, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. If you have kids, you know what not sincere means. Let me show you. I'll just use my daughter's. It's like a really loud mosquito. Stop. That's how you separate them. By the way, that's why God made parents bigger than children. So you can stay there. And then like this, and you just stay. Now you need to apologize to her. I'm not going to tell you which one does this, but they both do. Sorry. And then what do you say? Like you mean it. Why do we get on to our kids for saying sorry like that when we say the same thing to God for the things that we've done? Hello, boat oar to the face. Why, do, why are we so, oh, you know, God, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, bro. It's not sorry, bro. It's I have, a, I have completely defiled myself spiritually in your presence and sin is a big deal. Are we like, mm, sorry. Sorry, no big deal. My bad. One sin is enough to separate you from God. One. But we have, look, invert, we can go right into the presence. When things are going right, do you trust God? When things are going right, do you pray more? Maybe not, because things are going well. When things go bad, do you hurry, rush to God? Oh, God, did you see how my day went? Did you see? He's God. But uh, I need you to I need you to do this and this and this and this and this. And please don't let me get a ticket because I was going like 78 and a 55. I know this guy's behind me. Please, God, I don't need a ticket. Don't break the law. Right? It's like Jim Carrey. Stop breaking the law. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. Look, for our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. It would sprinkle the blood in the old covenant onto the altar. It would sprinkle it. It's a, it's a reference back and forth. Pure water represents the, 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 the traditional washings of the Old Testament and the old Jewish customs. Pure water was a big deal because pure water wasn't everywhere. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now, I have just told you from scripture, God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now, what you have to answer inside your, inside your mind, not externally, not with a nod. You need to answer inside you, do you believe what God says? And after you say, okay, I do believe what God says, now apply it. This is the very, very difficult stuff. Some of us look at the first, the first four words. Let us hold tightly. Dude, my grip is so light. I feel like I just slip off every time I try to hang on to God. I just slip off. It's like there's a rope, but there's butter all over it. I can't, I, can't seem to, I can't seem to hang on. Some of us need to look at how we're gripping God. Are you diving into his word? Is it resonating inside with you? God hasn't ever tricked you. He's never tricked me. He's never tricked you. God has never tricked you. He's never pulled the chair out from under you. He's never said, hey, hey, trust me. Oh, just kidding. God's never done that. That's something difficult for me. This week as I was studying, I'm like, man, he really, he really hasn't ever done that. He hasn't ever tricked us, yet we doubt him. Look at, look at the very next blank in your worship handout. Some of you need to underline this one. Keep this in your house. God can be trusted. Here's your question. Why do we doubt? Well, man, I thought this was going to be easy. You know, there's like a PowerPoint or some bullet points that you can just give us. You know, like, hey, get, write a prescription. Go to the doctor. Get a couple tablets a day. We're good. We're, we, can, we, can, we can trust God. We can not doubt. No. God says, I need you to trust me because I can be trusted. And so why are you doubting? 
and I went to Mary this morning, right back there in the hallway. And I said, I feel like a failure as a husband. That's what your preacher said just before he got up here to help lead worship and to preach a sermon. That's how bad Satan attacks people. I said, I don't feel adequate as a husband or a dad. Maybe I'm the only one in this room that that even affects. Probably not. And I went to her, and you know what she said? I love you so much. I love how you sacrifice for our family. I love how you lead us. I love how you love me. I love how you love our kids. You know why she said that? Because she knows what I need to hear. And she's not blowing smoke. She's affirming that God can be trusted. Matt, you, you've been given this because God wants you to do this. You, he wants you to do this. Trust him. Trust him. And then her famous line that she said to me very early in our marriage, Matthew Griswold, and I knew that I was in trouble. So Matthew Griswold, when is the last time that the God in heaven and creator of this universe has ever let you down? He hasn't. So trust him, she said. But we doubt. We let Satan play this giant video game of doubt in our heads. We let our minds go crazy, don't we? If you're a worrier, you know what I mean. Your mind goes crazy. What about this and this and this? I get it. I understand. Look at verse 24. Let us think of ways. Here you go. To motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It's fellowship. This Friday from 6 to 8 p.m., if you have a grill and you want to grill with me, it's not a big deal. I just, and we're just cooking food. But if you have a grill and you want to come and help grill, we only need a couple or three, uh, and you want to bring here, we're going to have pork burgers. Now, is anybody in here? I need to, I need to know this because I'm from Pork Day USA town, okay? I speak fluent pig, okay? Has anybody not ever had a pork burger? If you've never had a pork burger, just come and talk to me after church. I don't want to embarrass you, okay? Um, you come and talk to me, and I, you need to show up Friday, Okay? Um, these are, they're going to be really awesome. They're quarter pound pork burgers. Awesome. Okay. Bring some chips. But why, why do we do that? So we can motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We can fellowship. This is what, this is what connect group looks like on a, on a bigger scale. And as we're getting ready to launch a really awesome study coming in August. You do not want to miss out on our fall connect groups. You do not. Let me ask this. <clears throat> Anybody ever have a problem with your attitude? that's it, I'm not going to connect group. If you, if you did that in your mind, that's straight sass, bro. You need to come to connect group. Yeah, it says, help me, help, God, help me God change my attitude. Not about people, our attitude towards God. How he wants to, wants to fix us. But celebrate a fellowship. Come and hang out with us from 6 to 8 on Friday. There'll be plenty of food. Come and eat. We're going to play games. Uh, if it rains... I don't know, we'll bring out kayaks. I don't know what we're going to do if it rains. We'll come inside. So we'll, rain or shine. And 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But look what we should do. We encourage one another. You know what you do when you encourage someone? You remove doubt from their mind. Mary encouraged me this morning and it removed, for, even for a little bit of time, it removed that doubt from my mind. That's why whenever you feel like you need encouraging, you need to encourage someone. It will help remove their doubt. And when you see that in their life, it speaks to you. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Connect groups are coming back. Connect groups are in two counties right now, Wayne and Jefferson. We're getting ready to maybe do some more. So what, So. We, we can read about these connect groups and these small group meetings and all this stuff. And you read about the first church and go, holy smoke, Matt. They had people added to them every day. How many times did they go to church a week? Six. What? Sometimes seven. What? What? They had church every day. They would get up before they had to be at work. And they would fellowship and have Bible study. What a concept. (laughs) That they were actively involved in God's word, learning how to love other people, and God Bless them. I mean, what a concept, isn't it, right? It wasn't about having inflatables and a slip and slide at church or pizza. It was this. This. 
This living, breathing, God-breathed, inerrant word of God. Sometimes it's easy to neglect that. I remember I, I, I was feeling guilty about doing something. I'd messed something up. I said something just theologically incorrect in a sermon. I knew it was wrong, but I knew that Mike was going to make sure I knew it was wrong when I met with him. Like, most assuredly knew that I was wrong. And I didn't want to go to the meeting. I tried all kinds of ways to get out of this meeting. My truck's really not been doing good. I don't have gas. I don't feel real good. I have a migraine. Light hurts me. I can't meet anywhere. Light. I got to lay in my house. I tried all kinds of ways. And you know, you know that you've done things like this. I tried every way I could to get out of this meeting. When I got there, he said, if you didn't want to come, would you just have said, you should have just said, I didn't want to come. And I said, well, then what would you do? He goes, I would have showed up at your house. <laughs> I said, well, I'm glad I came here. <laughs> but he, he, it, was, it wasn't bad. He showed me what, what I did theologically. It was really, it was seriously, it was wrong. It was, it was something that was incorrect that I said. I knew the difference, but I had said something incorrectly. And do you know what he did after that? Matt, if this is the worst thing that ever happens to you when you pastor at a church, you're going to be good. Just understand that mistakes happen and understand, what's that he said, and understand that I love you. Huh. Here I thought he was going to like jump down my throat. And he said, no, no, he did hand me three pages of, of handwritten scripture of why I was wrong. But... <laughs> He just made sure he got that point in. But he was right, and I knew that. But he took time to encourage me. I love you. Encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Man. When do you think Jesus is going to come back? We're getting one day closer every day. Every time we meet here on a Sunday morning, we're seven days closer. And there's some weeks that I'm like, bring it. Let's go. I mean, there's no more cancer, no more glasses, no more diets, no more anything. Let's go. Let's, let's worship. I stand amazed in the prayer. Let's go. But in my mind, I understand that there are people here that need to hear about him. And can you imagine when we have the, the knowledge in the mind of Christ that, that says that, the, that, that, that God's going to wipe away our tears? Can you imagine if you had the mind of Christ and instantly knew who didn't make it? Now we don't play. We let doubt come into our life so we don't share with that person. Now let that sink in. You could be the only Bible that that person ever reads. And that's kind of a cliche thing to say. But you could be. Look at verse 26. Dear friends, if you underline in your Bible, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. The author is talking about people that reject the gospel. People that reject following Christ. John 6, 66 says, And after they heard these words, they departed from Jesus and they never followed him again. If somebody, if somebody walks away, I would probably, walks away from God intentionally, totally blasphemes the Holy Spirit, I would probably question their salvation experience in the very beginning. Was it real at all? But he, what he's saying is, there is only one terrible, only, this is, there is the only terrible expectation of God's judgment and raging fire that will consume his enemies. That shows you at the end of verse 27 that hell was not created for any human. Hell was created as a punishment for Satan and his demons. It was not created for humans, but because sin happened, there is penalty for sin. In verse 28, for anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses, was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Aren't we, aren't we glad we've moved into the new law? You ever had two or three people mad at you at the same time? Some of you, some of you go, well, that would be a good day, right? Just based on their, on their accounts, put to death. Without mercy, that means not good. Just think, verse 29, how much worse the punishment would be for those who have trampled on the Son of God. Look at this. Number one, and have treated the blood of the covenant 
Okay, they trample on the Son of God, that's one. Having, uh, have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, that's the second one. And the third one is insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Those are three marks of apostasy. And some of you are like, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a seminary word. I don't know what that means. Good, I looked up the definition so I could tell you from a dictionary. It's the abandonment of religious belief. Apostasy. The abandonment of a belief. So in verse 29 it says, They've trampled on the Son of God, they've treated the blood like it wasn't important, and they have insulted and disdained and or rejected the Holy Spirit. Yeah. They've doubted the power of the blood. Look at verse 30. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Wow, that seems very Old Testament-y, doesn't it? I'm going to smoke those people. I'm tired of it. I feel like God, if God had a voice, like he's talking with the Israelite people again, he goes, great, you're all in trouble again. <laughs> Ever been taken to the woodshed? Now, the woodshed in my, in my eyes is, is a good place, but I understand what the quote-unquote woodshed is. I got taken out of church one time from about right here. Um, my dad called time in a sermon for real, took me out to the, that's not good, people. I'm just telling you. My mom's been playing worship before, and I was up in the balcony, which is the stupidest place on earth for me to have sat because I was going to get in trouble. And she was playing, and we were, you know, everybody's like, ah, victory, Jesus. And my mom goes, and she's still playing. And she's looking at me, and I went, ah, victory, Indiana. Old Testament means mess up. They were punished severely. I'm not talking about taken out and spanked in the kitchen or corrected or disciplined. I'm talking these people were, they, 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 it's like they didn't have any chances. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of God. Yeah, it comes from Deuteronomy. Moses is speaking to the Israelites. They're getting ready to enter the promised land. So what's the penalty for disregarding God's word? Ask Moses. You can look, but you can't go in. Why? Because you got angry. Can you imagine every time that we got angry, if God, without grace, if we got angry, we had to look at something that we really wanted, really, really wanted to see or feel or touch, and God says, you can see it, but you can't touch it. We should really be thankful for the new covenant the coming and, the, and the, the sacrifice that God gave us through Jesus. He goes on in 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Think about that. Think about it. When we, sat, I, we did this on purpose, okay? Because lyrics matter and I want, I want to match some things. Some of you haven't sang I Stand Amazed in the Presence for 20 years. And when you sang it, you're like, song because instantly you went back to the solid oak pews in the church that you grew up with standing beside your grandparents or your parents and it flooded your memory bank i'll never forget my i was right behind my grandpa samaria church my grandpa's about this big it's huge he grabbed his bible man he would he would do, he would do this he hated collared shirts the guy wore a 56 jacket. I'd hate collars too. Okay, so he's, he's like this. and Victory in Jesus. And he goes, I stand amazed in the presence. And he would not sing it quietly. And it floods my heart and myself when I listen to those words that one day I'm going to be right beside him. Going, yes, this is the greatest praise and worship concert I've ever seen in my life. And he'll look over and he goes, I've just been waiting on you to get here. We should stand amazed of what God has done for us. But we, we stop standing amazed because we doubt. Well, I, think, I think I'm doing what God's supposed to be. First John, God wants you to know. Read it again. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. 
I remember going to Ten Post Oak, which some of you know where that is. It's where my grandfather was saved. I remember going to Samaria. I remember going to Ziff Baptist Church, population like 12. It's like three families that live right around the church. I remember those old songs and those people. And I remember their hearts. I remember the sounds of their voices. I remember the smell of their brute aftershave. I'm not wrong, right? I remember those things. But the thing that I remember is this. Do you remember those early days when you first learned about Christ? My daughter, Lydia, comes running up to me. And she goes, Dad, I need to give you a hug. She is physical touch like 8,000 score on, on, on love languages. She, she is all physical touch. And I pick her up and I give her a big hug. And I was not having a good day. And, she, and I said this. I tried to teach with this. I said, you're seven years old. Yeah, you just turned eight. Oh, yeah, okay. I said, do you listen to God whenever he talks to you and he tells you that I need a hug and then you come and give me a hug? She said, absolutely. I'm, I, I'm, I just rock back. I'm like, what, what kind of faith? What, what are the differences? I'm a more mature Christian than my daughter. She's not saved yet. But she has this absolute, total trust. I was not having a good day. And she looks at me and she said, Dad, I listen to God because if you do not listen to God, do you not listen to his voice and do what he says, bad things can happen. She's eight. I'm 39. And I put her down. And I lost it because my doubt had got in the way. If you listen to God's voice, do what he says. It doesn't get much more simple. Read the Bible, do what it says. Yet something gets in our way. But we think back on those early days. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. You remember what it was like when you first got saved? Grandpa. Grandma, mom, dad, cousins. Maybe you got saved and you're the first one in your family. And then over the years, what what did God do? He moved through you. Maybe we have families in our church that one person got saved and now they all got saved. How cool is that? Because God is awesome. But he's saying, hey, you remember when you had the faith to endure everything? Sometimes in verse 33, you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. Are we too comfortable? I'm sorry, but the answer is yes. Are we too comfortable to share the gospel? Are we too far removed from when God removed the doubt that day that you got saved? Are we too far removed from that for it to matter? You realize realize the importance of you actually being able to stand or fall on your face or whatever we're going to do in heaven, that we stand and we worship God. Do you realize that we don't deserve that? I wonder how that should affect the people that we work with. Verse 34, you suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. And when you owned, uh, and when... All you owned was taken from you. You accepted it with joy. Look, underline this. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. My grandpa had a, and it's just, it's just, I remember him when I talk about this. He had a great big sign on his back door and said, I'm a pastor. The pay ain't much, but the retirement is out of this world. Literally. The pay ain't much, but the retirement is out of this world. We know we have to stand firm that better things are coming. Even if that means post-death. Even if that means us giving our lives. In verse 35, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Are you confident in God's ability or do you doubt it? Look at verse 36. Patient endurance is what you need now. Oh, great. I'm not, I'm not. Can we skip? No. You can underline two words out of this whole page. Underline patient patient endurance is what you need now. So that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he's promised. Oh, great. Not only is this patience thing, it's an if and then verse. If we wait patiently, 
then you'll know, then you will receive all that God, all He's promised. But we look at we look at God like we are a spoiled six year old and go, I don't want to wait. Do you know how lucky we are that God doesn't backhand us? I mean, for real. I mean, that was a thing in my house. I don't know if it was yours. I have like ninja like reactions that really helped me in college to block baseballs going really fast because I sat in the back seat and could dodge Rhonda and Steve's arm. Nobody, nobody's lived in my world. You people, like, you talk in the back seat, and it's just a blind swing. <laughs> You're like, wait. It was like Matrix when I was six years old. <laughs> Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Abraham and Sarah had to be patient, even though God had given them a covenant and a promise. They had to wait on Isaac. My job's just not getting better. My relationship with this person. Worship while you wait and wait. I don't want to do that. It's not my advice. It's God's word. For look, for in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. These people that that, that he wrote to, the disciples probably thought that Jesus was going to come back in a couple weeks. And here we are, 2,000 years removed from them. Well, Matt, what do you think? Our world's just going... Going down in the toilet. Yeah. But why does it surprise you? Our world doesn't honor God. Look, look, at, look at the nations around, around the world that don't honor God. <laughs> it's not getting better. It shouldn't surprise us. Okay? We, we understand what's coming. Jesus is coming back. What's that going to look like? <laughs> awesome. If you're a follower of Christ. Horrible. If you're not. Verse 38. Underline three words here. It says, And my righteous ones will live by faith. Faith is the absolute opposite of doubt. My dad. We talked about this the other night. He said, he said something that I'm, that I'm starting to understand. We're talking about playing baseball. My dad's 62. It'll be 62 in September. And he goes, in my head, I can't home run. My body tells me otherwise. But he said, in my head, I can still do things like I used to do them. I can still do, the, you know, I can play baseball. I can still hit a home run. But he said, my, my body tells me differently. So he has, he has doubt that he can do an athletic thing like that. But what my dad shows me in my life is we're trusting God for this. And I kind of look at the, I assess the situation and go, you're trusting God for that? Yeah. There's a whole lot of things that need to, like, you know, happen. I'm kind of doubtful. But he showed me over and over and over and over and over and over and over that if he has the faith and that's something that God wants to do, guess what? My doubt is not going to ruin it for him. Take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. He will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Look at 39. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. We're to remain faithful. We have jobs to do. Stop doubting. Well, that's easy for you to say, Matt. You don't have my... Yeah, I have my own stuff. It's capital letters in my thing. Stop doubting. That's to me. It's my notes. Look at the, look at the, you've already filled in the very last one. Look at the next bl- to last blank. It says, do you believe God's word? Duh. Read the question again. Do you believe? In your, in your head right now. I believe in God and the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, listen. That's a song. Those are lyrics. Right here and right here. Do you believe what God's word says? Because if you believe what this says, stop doubting. Satan wants to wreck you. He wants to just destroy things that you've built up. Relationships he wants to just saw in half. He wants to set you on spiritual fire in a negative way. 
He doesn't care. He wants to wreck it. Do you believe that God and Jesus is bigger than your doubt? Put up that last one. They've already filled it in. Our doubts is what we should be doubting. Doubting is not of God. Believing and having faith is of God. Doubting is not of God. Doubting is how Satan affects you and he wants to twist things. And he wants you, well, I'm not good enough and I'm not this. And I get it. And no, you aren't good enough. But you have God, <laughs> if you do. I'm praying for you this week. We, we, are, we are getting ready to enter my favorite, almost probably top three most favorite books in the entire Bible next week. The Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11. If you want to see how big God is about doubts and about faith, you do not want to miss the next two or three weeks in this, in this book at all. Yes, I said two or three books. If you've read Hebrews 11, there's no chance we can cover it in two. There's no way. You have the Touchstone's Life gift bags. We have one, two. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. and $98.23 per bag. Who wants to hand one of these out? Mm -hmm. Who has somebody in their life right now that you 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 could help with something in their life? Come on. Come on. It's like supper at my house. The first time you're a guest, you get to go first. Next time, you better throw elbows. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for the money that was given this morning. God, I pray that you use um, Pam and Drew, that you would, you would go out, that God, that you would help them show other people about your love. God, when we, when we talk about doubts and we talk about that you're greater than our doubts, God, not only let us believe it, but God, help us trust the fact that you are greater than our doubts. God, if there are questions about you or in somebody, with somebody online that's listening or somebody that's here this morning, God, I pray that you give them the courage to come and ask somebody. Ask them what a relationship with Christ means, how, what, what our sin means, what Jesus' payment on the cross was. God, but maybe if it's just somebody that just needed to hear, you should doubt your doubts. God, you're not a God of confusion. You're a God of faith and trust. And we love you, God. We're so thankful for what you've done, you've done here and you're doing here through your people. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.